Welcome to the Christian Life Austin podcast. Today we continue our Wednesday evening series entitled God Can Use Anyone. In this series, we have learned that it does not matter your circumstance, you can still be used by God. And now, lead Pastor Rex Johnson. Just remain standing. My subject tonight for the next little while is simply God can use anyone. That's the major theme. Tonight I'm speaking on, I'm speaking on the word simply rejection. I want to talk about rejection tonight. I want you to turn to somebody and say, it doesn't feel good to be rejected. It really doesn't. Everybody say, Pastor, Pastor. preach to us tonight. Let the word touch my heart. Let it change my heart. Preach the word to us tonight. Let the word touch my mind. Let it change my mind. Preach the word to us tonight. Let me leave here a different person than what I was when I came in. In Jesus' name. You may be seated. You may be seated. Thank you so much. Thanks, guys. How many of you ever been rejected in your life? Me too. Guys, was it a pretty girl? Girls, was it somebody you wanted to go out with and they just looked over your head because you're too short? Not in stature, but in their mind. Rejection can be a hard experience for anyone, but it's surprising to find that people we consider famous have often been scorned by other people. For instance, Harrison Ford. Anybody ever seen Indiana Jones or Star Wars or Things like clear and present danger. Anytime you turn a movie on now, it's going to have Harrison Ford usually in it or Clint Eastwood. When he first started out, he was told by a number of movie executives that he didn't have what it took to be a star. (laughs) He was rejected. Walt Disney was fired from the Kansas City Star newspaper in 1919. The editor said he lacked imagination (laughs) and didn't have any good ideas. Rudyard Kipling was the author of the Jungle Book, Ricky Tikki Tabby, and Captain Courageous and other books, and he was fired from the San Francisco Examiner in 1889. He was told by an editor he didn't know how to use the English language right. Winston Churchill repeatedly ran for office and was defeated every time. He did so until he finally became the Prime Minister of England at the age of 62, just before World War II. Pretty good election, wasn't it? Oprah Winfrey was fired from a job as a TV reporter because they said she was unfit for TV. (laughs) We love you, Oprah. And the Beatles were rejected by several recording studios. One of the recording labels famously said, the Beatles have no future in show business. But my favorite story is Clint Eastwood and Burt Reynolds. That's my favorite story. They were close friends. And they were both fired from Universal Studio on the same day. And Reynolds tells this story. He said, I was told I couldn't act. And Clint was told he walked too slow and his Adam's apple was too big. (laughs) He said, and as we were walking to our cars, we were quiet. And I finally said, you're in trouble, Clint. He said, I can take acting lesson, but you can't grow a new Adam's apple. (laughs) Pale Ryder showed him, didn't he? Being rejected is no fun. I've been there, I've done it, and I've burnt that T-shirt. Rejection hurts. It's painful. 
It's an insult to who you are. Nobody here likes it. The hero of our story tonight probably got hurt as badly as anybody could possibly be hurt in his life. His name is Jephthah. If you had not heard of him, I'll introduce him to you. From what I'm reading, it seems his father had been a prominent member of society in his day. The only problem was his mother wasn't. She was a prostitute. His dad was a businessman. He had this woman on the side. And when his father died, the other sons, who were legit, cut him out of the will and kicked him out of town. It literally says in the Bible, they drove him away. So in a single day, Jephthah lost everything that he had. He lost his dad. He lost a mom that really cared for him. He lost all of his brothers. He lost his home, his family, and apparently he had never had any respect, and he lost that. But different people react to rejection in different ways. Some people just roll up in a ball and go hide in the corner. That's, that's what some people do, get in a semifetal position and they just hide. Others take drugs or drown their sorrows at the local bar. Still others are like the people I told you about in the open illustration. They dust themselves off. They pick themselves up and become overcomers, and I love those kind of people. But then there are other people who are rejected by others, and they turn to God for their comfort. For example, there was a man named Albert Peace. Albert was a man in love. His fiancée was all that he had ever dreamed about and ever wanted in a woman. They planned to be married very, very soon, but he discovered before he got married that he was going blind. And the woman he had loved and hoped to share his life with walked out on him, and she could not stand the possibility of living her life with a man whom she knew she'd need to take care of for the rest of her life. And Albert Peace was shattered. But in the midst of his tragedy, losing the love of, his, of the woman he had given his life for, he turned to the one whose love he knew he'd never lose. And he knew God would not reject him. And in those dark moments when he could not see, he wrote a poem that soon became the words of a famous hymn. And you can Google this and sing along with this song, O love that will not let me go. I rest my weary soul in thee. I give thee back the life I owe that in thine ocean depths its flow may richer, fuller be. And for almost 200 years that song has brought comfort to thousands and thousands of worshipers. Albert Peace turned to God in his sorrow. And I'm convinced that that's exactly what Jephthah did. He turned to God in his sorrow. Now why do I think Jephthah turned to God in his struggle? Well, because he seemed to know the Bible pretty well. And so I know he was reading his word and discovering things about his God. When he was elected to lead the army of Israel into war against Ammon, he first tries to negotiate with the Ammonites. He doesn't really want to go to war because he knows people will die in war and he hopes to talk the enemy out of the bloodshed. Jephthah sent messages to the Ammonite king with this question. It's on the screen. What do you have against us that you have attacked our country? And the Ammonites' reply was that they lost land in the battle 300 years before and they wanted it back. But Jephthah replies to them by retelling the history of Israel that was found in the Bible. Basically, he tells them that the Ammonites lost their land because their king went to war against the Israelites when all Israel wanted to do was pass through their land on their way to Canaan. 
And essentially Jephthah told the Ammonites, we won, you lost, you ain't getting it back. And Jephthah retells the story of Scripture with 100% accuracy. And we find that he's not only able to quote his Bible, but that he believes that the Bible is historically accurate, and I do too. Let me tell you something about this book. I trust it. Everybody trust this book? The Bible said, I'm going to tell you right now, there's no notes. Heaven and earth will pass away. But my word will never pass away. Did you hear me? His word will never pass away. If God ever said it, that settles it, I believe it. And I know there's some people saying the Bible is outdated. No, it's not. The Bible is just as pure today as it ever was the day it was written. Because holy men of old were inspired of the Holy Spirit to write this book. It's not man's ideas. It's God's ideas through man. And it still happens in preaching today. And I believe in the word of God. And Jephthah was a man that took his faith seriously. Everybody say seriously. I want to I encourage people in this house tonight to take your faith seriously. Don't play games with your faith. In fact, when Jesus talked to Peter by the fire, when he jumped out of the boat after his resurrection, he said, Peter, Satan hath desired to have you, that he may sift you as wheat. But I prayed for you. Watch this now, that you wouldn't fall down. He didn't say that, that you wouldn't give up. He said, I prayed for you that your faith wouldn't fail. Let me declare to you right now, it doesn't matter how much you've been rejected by family, how much you've been rejected by people, how much you've been rejected by people you thought were your friends. There is a friend that sticketh closer than a brother. And he will be your friend. He said, I'm with you always. Everybody say always. Even to the end of the world. You have a friend in Jesus. And because Jephthah took his faith seriously, it got God's attention. In Hebrews 11, it's often been called the chapter that has the list of heroes of faith. Everybody like to read Hebrews 11? I love Hebrews 11. I love 11 and 1. Now faith is the substance of things hoped for. Evidence of things not seen. It tells of men like Abraham and Moses and David and women like Sarah and Rahab the harlot. There's only 16 people mentioned by name in Hebrews 11. 16, I counted them. And guess whose name is on that list? You got it, it's Jephthah. Whose dad was a businessman, whose mom was a harlot and he was run out of town when his dad died. He was rejected by everybody in his family. And what more, the Bible says, shall I say? I do not have time to tell you about Gideon and Barak and Samson and Jephthah. I don't even have time to talk about them because they did so much. And David and Samuel and the prophets who through faith conquered kingdoms and administered justice and gained what was promised, who shut the mouth of lions and quenched the fury of the flames and escaped the edge of the sword, whose weakness was turned to strength and who became powerful in battle and routed foreign armies. Wow. Wow. Jephthah's right up there with Gideon. He's right up there with David. He's right up there with Samuel and the prophets. He's listed there because he was, everybody say, a man of faith. Jephthah was a man who impressed God enough to be listed in the hall of heroes. He was. Only 16 in the whole Bible made it. In fact, Jephthah so impressed God that when he ultimately went to war against the Ammonites, we're told, then the Spirit of the Lord came upon Jephthah. Not everybody in the, in the Old Testament and in Scripture had the Spirit of the Lord come upon them. 
They're special people. Let me tell you something right now. If God's spirit rests upon you, you better rise up and thank God every day. You hear me. You hear this. We're not going to make it by ourselves in this last day. We're going to need the presence and the help of Almighty God. Somebody needs to raise their hand and say, Holy Spirit, fall on me. Come on, Holy Spirit, fall on me. We need the strength of God in our life. We need the, that's why we're here on Wednesday night. That's why we come on Sunday. That's why we love music. That's why we love the Word. Because the Word, rightly divided, will absolutely do something great for your life. There's life in these words here. There's life in the Word of God here tonight. Amen? And you want the Holy Ghost on you? You want the Holy Spirit on you? Clap your hands above your head and say, Thank you for talking about it, Pastor. You're a special person when you want the Holy Spirit on your life. That's special. Oh, I want to talk tonight. I feel it. I'm... Now I put, that's cool. That's good stuff. I can say that. I'm in my 60s. I can say cool. That's groovy. The man who had been rejected by his family and his people was claimed by God. Can I tell you, God accepts rejects. He really does. And you know, that's often how God does things. God takes the rejects of life and turns them into tools that he can use to change the world. 1 Corinthians, one of my favorite verses, it's 27 through 29, said God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. He chose the lowly things of the world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are so that no one may boast or glory in themselves. Oh, I, I know I'm asking for a lot of praise tonight, but I think we ought to thank God because we're not going to glory in ourselves. If we glory, we're going to glory in the Lord. If we boast, we're going to boast in the Lord. If we brag, we're going to brag in the Lord. It's not about us, it's about Him. Someone once observed that Moses stuttered and David's armor didn't fit. Jacob was a liar. And Solomon was way too rich and Abraham was too old and David was too young. And Naomi was a widow and Martha was a worrywart and Jonah ran from God and Gideon and Thomas both doubted God and Jeremiah was depressed and Elijah was burned out and Timothy had ulcers and Peter was afraid to die and of course Lazarus was dead. And then there's Jephthah, the son of a prostitute. The whole point is God uses all kinds of people that others would overlook or reject and been rejected. And that's the part of the reason that God chose Jephthah. He said, let them run you out of town. Let them say that you're no longer a part of them. They may run you out, but they're going to run you right to me because I'm your God. And I'm going to use you for the glory of the Lord. And they're going to find out that I used you in the right manner. And when God used him, he took hold of his life and Jephthah became a hero, a hero of faith. A man used by God to do mighty things, a man who stood tall in scripture. Jephthah was a man of faith and destiny. But now, there's a problem in Jephthah's story. Here's where I want to teach. Some might call it an elephant in the room. Some might say, that there is something like the king has no clothes and nobody wants to tell him. It's because there's something that everybody knows is there but nobody wants to talk about it. 
because it's embarrassing. It's uncomfortable. And you won't ignore it, but you can't. It's just too big to ignore. There's something in the story about Jephthah that's too big to ignore, something that makes people embarrassed and uncomfortable. Here it is. It looks like he sacrificed his daughter to God. If you don't know the story, let's go. Theologians have struggled with this issue for centuries. I'm going to preach it. Some of them say Jephthah didn't sacrifice his daughter. Others say he did. But nobody likes this part of the story. But let's talk now, okay? Let's get real. We're told Jephthah made a vow to the Lord. Everybody say a vow. He said this, if you give the Ammonites into my hand, whatever comes out of the door of my house to meet me, when I return in triumph from the Ammonites will be the Lord's and I will sacrifice it as a burnt offering. And what happens? He wins the battle. He returns home in victory. And who should come out to meet him but his daughter, his only daughter, dancing to the sound of tambourines. Dad, you won, you won, you won, you won. She was his only child. And except for her, he had neither son nor daughter. When she saw him, he tore his clothes and cried, Oh, my daughter, you've made me miserable and wretched because I have made a vow to the Lord that I cannot break. Jephthah was totally surprised when his daughter came out of the house, as I would have been. I have read a couple of commentators who believe that Jephthah was simply so influenced by the pagans around him that he seriously intended to make a human sacrifice to God. I've read that. That's not what this says. But Jephthah is devastated by seeing his daughter come out of the house. So what's going on here? How many of you have cats or dogs at home? Come on. Cats don't do it, but boy, when you come home. Cats will hide behind the cat. But a dog will come out wagging that tail. This. We put ours to rest a couple of years ago, and I won't ever have another one because I loved her too much. Coco Chanel drove me crazy and loved me at the same time. And I told my wife, if I ever, if I ever had another dog, it'd be a male dog because everything in my house was female. My wife, my three daughters, my female dog. I was so alone. <laughs> Finally, my daughter started getting married. Thanks, guys, for being my friend. In the Old Testament, such animals would probably not have been a common sight in people's homes. But if a person were a sheep herder, they might have lambs in the flock that had lost their mothers. Now, they could allow them to stay in the field if they wanted to, but they could bring them home. And many sheep herders, many shepherds brought those lambs home so they could survive until they got strong enough to make it on their own. They had them in their house. And there are some scholars who believe that it was what Jephthah had intended at his own home. After all, we've all had animals that at the moment it opened out, they run. They'll get in the street and you've got to catch them. He probably made his vow thoroughly expecting to see such an animal run out of the open door when he'd come home, but not this time. Stay with me, I'm going to preach. This time it was his only child and he had made a vow to God. And it was too much of a man's in his honor to back down on it. He allows his daughter time to grieve, so he sends her up to the mountain for two months. She returns to her father, and he did to her as he vowed. The Bible said, and she was a virgin. From this comes the Israelite custom that each year young women of Israel go out for four days to commemorate the daughter of Jephthah the Gileadite. 
Jephthah the Gileadite. Judges 11, 39, 40. Now, obviously, we have a problem. I'm going I'm to teach you five things here right now. Okay, number one, vows are a serious thing to God. Let me talk to you. Deuteronomy chapter 23 says, If you make a vow to the Lord, your God, do not be slow to pay it, for the Lord your God will certainly demand it of you, and you will be guilty of sin. Ecclesiastes said it's better not to vow than to make a vow and not fulfill it. Don't let your mouth lead you into sin, and do not protest to the temple messenger, my vow was a mistake. Why should God be angry at what you say and destroy the works of your hands, Ecclesiastes 5, 5, and 6. But on the other hand, God hated human sacrifice too. Deuteronomy chapter 12, he said, be careful to obey all these regulations. Hear this real good. I'm giving you so that it may always go well with you and your children after you because you will be doing what is good and right in the eyes of the Lord your God. The Lord your God will cut off before you the nations you are about to invade and dispossess. But when you have driven them out and settled in their land, watch this now, and after they have been destroyed before you, be careful not to be ensnared by inquiring about their gods, saying, how do these nations serve their gods? We will do the same. He said, you must not worship the Lord your God in their way because in worshiping their gods, they do all kinds of detestable things that the Lord hates. And the chief among the detestable things that those people did, they even burned their sons and their daughters in the fire as sacrifices to their gods. So did Jephthah sacrifice his daughter or did he not? Half the scholars seem to think he did, half believe he didn't. So did he or didn't he? Well, I'm going to give you my opinion right now. Boy, it's getting quiet. I might be wrong, but I doubt it. And in my opinion, I do not believe that Jephthah sacrificed his daughter. I do not believe it. Why? Number one, God honored Jephthah by including him in the hall of faith heroes. And number two, God hates human sacrifice. God wasn't just annoyed by human sacrifice. It nauseated God. It angered him. He destroyed entire nations because they did things like this. And God declared it to be an abomination. Ooh, I could get on something right now, but I'm afraid to get on it because I may not have people that would get behind me. God does not like to see people be destroyed. Euthanized. Come on, aborted, let me preach. I'm not trying to get on some ridge here so you can get happy with me, but I'm telling you, God loves life. There were two trees in the Garden of Eden, the tree of life and the tree of knowledge of good and evil. God said, choose life. We're getting so smart, we think we're smarter than God. We're not smarter than God. God still loves life. Somebody let somebody live. Somebody say hallelujah to life. Choose life. I said before you life and death. Choose life. Can I preach a little bit right now? Hallelujah. I don't want to challenge your theology here tonight. I'm not the smartest and the sharpest blade in the drawer, but I will cut you. 
I'm not dull. But I know without a shadow of a doubt, one of the ten is thou shalt not kill. Somebody said if you do the ten, you get in. No, if you know Jesus, you're going to get in. He's the door. I love the ten principles in the Old Testament, but the Lord's the door. He is the way, the truth, and the life. And no man cometh to the Father but by Him. And I'm preaching about Him today. I'm not talking about Moses right now. I'm preaching about Him right now. He is life. He is life. Let's let this church breathe life into people. Come on, breathe life into people. Don't walk in and everybody fall out because you bring death. Bring life to people. Bring joy to people. Bring contentment to people. When you walk into a restaurant, know what a 15% tip is and add 5 more percent. Come on, bring life to people. Bring joy to people. Make waiters and waitresses, when you come back to the restaurant, say, I want that family right there. I want them. My wife and I, we're going to give away one of our secrets. We go to Longhorn Steakhouse every now and then. Not because it's a great steakhouse, because we're loved there. You know why we're loved there? Because we love them. And we got a waitress. I don't know if her hair is going to be blonde or black. It doesn't matter. We'll see her, but we still recognize her because she's got the same face. And when she sees us, she said, that's my table. I love that. Because you know what? We give life. There's a lot of churches that are arguing about, is it, is it life or is it three of knowledge of good and evil? It's always life. It's always life. Come on, let's give life. Let's share life with somebody. I'm just preaching right now. Come on, when you walk in the room, you ought to dispose and, dispre- and, 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 and oppress life. You ought to give life. Give life. Come on, give life. Just give it away. Give it away. Give it away. Give it away. Make people say when you walk out of the room, wow, they're alive in God. God hates human sacrifice. Do you seriously think God would put a man who did such an evil thing into the elite cadre of believers that made up Hebrews 11 Hall of Fame? I don't think so. Number three, the book of Judges never condemns Jephthah for what he did. Never. Why are you handling this, Pastor? Because I want you to know something. That God hates human sacrifices. hates it do I need to say it religions that kill instead of heal wow most scholars believe the author of the judges was a prophet Samuel and the first and one of the greatest of prophets of Israel. And this, this was a man who stood for righteousness and would clearly have condemned human sacrifice. But there's not a single word of condemnation that comes out of his mouth about Jephthah. In fact, the author of Judges is often quite clear about sin and God's judgment. He repeatedly cites the sins of Israel and the punishment that God gives because of sin. In the case of Gideon, one of the judges, in Judges 8, 27, it's not on the screen, Gideon made out of donated gold and ephod and set it up in the city of Orpha. And all the Israel played the harlot with it there and it became a snare to get into his house. They danced around this beautiful idol that Gideon made after God had delivered him from the Midianites. But there, never, there is never any word of condemnation in Jephthah's action 
So it makes me believe, stay with me now, that he didn't kill his daughter. The fourth reason, in the story of Abraham where God commanded that he sacrifice his only son, even Isaac knows something is up. They go on this three-day journey. Abraham tells his servants, you stay here, and the lad and I are going yonder, Genesis 22. He said, and we will return. Oh, I love that. We're coming back. We're going yonder to worship. We're going to return. And Isaac, all the way up that mountain, said, Dad, here's the wood. Here's the fire. Where's the sacrifice? And Abraham kept saying, Jehovah Jireh, God will provide. Jehovah Jireh, God will provide. And Isaac just kind of knew that if his dad said he was coming down that mountain, he was going to come down that mountain. And he gets to the top and Abraham ties him to the altar and he rears that knife back and all of a sudden, he hears a ram caught in the thicket. And that ram becomes the sacrifice because God just wanted Abraham to see. He wanted to see if Abraham would do what he asked him to do. But God stopped him because God was against human sacrifices. You with me? Number five, according to the law of Moses, it was possible to redeem a sacrifice for a price, which means it's logical to believe that what may have happened in the case of Jephthah's daughter, who would not have been an appropriate sacrifice, she was not the sacrifice, but if he kept lambs in his house, that lamb could have been the sacrifice in substitute for his daughter. Are you with me? I'm almost finished. I must be putting some people to sleep or boring some folks. All right, here we go. I'm fixing to teach now. I'm fixing to teach. I'm going to hit you for about five minutes when I get all this in your, in your heart. The text is a bit redundant. It keeps repeating, she's a virgin. She will never marry. That led one famous commentator named Adam Clark to believe that she was pledged to perpetual virginity in the service of the tabernacle as opposed to being sacrificed, that that was her sacrifice. And I think there's a reason for that. There's a lot of times in Scripture where God doesn't fill in the blanks for us. Now let me talk. There's a lot of details I'd like to know more about, but God doesn't tell me anything about them. He said that's none of your business right now. Because they don't add to what he really wants us to see. The Bible said his ways are above our ways. And they're above sometimes finding out. So when I can't track God, I have to trust God. And here's what I believe. And I think the same is true. I believe the reason God isn't real detailed on whether Jephthah sacrificed his daughter is because it would distract us from what he really wants us to see. For example, if God spelled out that Jephthah was let off off from his vow, it would have given us an excuse to avoid fulfilling our promises to God when we found them inconvenient and uncomfortable. God doesn't want us to think that we can take our vows lightly. Oh, let me preach. And if we make a vow saying we're going to do something for God, do something for our neighbor, do something with our wife for better, for worse, we better do it in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. But it's the nature of man to look for a way to wiggle out of our word. But if you say it and you vow it, you need to keep it. It's better to never vow something if you're going to go back on it. Somebody raise your hand in this house. 
Did you tell the Lord when he saved you, Lord, I'll follow you all the way? Did you pledge that to the Lord? Why don't you stand on your feet right now and say, I'm still headed that way, Lord. Come on. Come on, just praise him all over the house. Don't make a vow if you're not intending to keep the vow. Please be seated. I got five more minutes. See that little girl over there that's holding that baby that's hollering at me? That's my wife. When I married her, I was one good-looking guy. She was a beautiful, beautiful lady. We got a problem. She's still beautiful. And I'm like Clint Eastwood. I still got this, I got, I got this ugliness. I get so enamored when somebody says, Pastor, you look good today. Pastor, you look handsome today. You're blind. <laughs> You're just as blind as you can be. But thank you. Thank you for bragging on me because I know that one day God will heal your eyes if you keep loving a pastor. <laughs> but I made a vow to that woman. I made a vow to her. I said I would love her and only her for the rest of my life, for better, for worse, for richer or poor, sickness and health, to love and to cherish, till death do us part according to God's holy ordinance, and thereto I pledge thee my troth, whatever that means. I change it in my vows. I say I give you my love. That sounds better. I pledge thee my troth. You can have my troth. I'm messing with you. I made a vow to that woman. Pastor, have you ever leaned against the door to get out? No. No. Why tell somebody you're going to do that? This is why God gave us the story of Jephthah. This is why we don't know if he killed his daughter or let her live. Because God was saying, if you think I let her live, then I'll let him get out of his vow, and then you can get out of yours. If he killed her, then I'm a God that lets somebody have life in their hands, and they have, they have sacrifices of human beings. And I'm against that. So I'm trapped on both ends. So I won't tell you, because I don't want you to go against a vow that you have in your life. And I'm not going to get in your business because it's not my business. But I will tell you this, if you make one, stick with it. If you have promised God that you'll go with him all the way to the end, stay in the fight. Every day's not going to be a win. You may lose some battles, but you're going to win the war. Every day's not going to be a victory. Every day's not going to be a hallelujah. But I promise you, when you step up for Jesus Christ, he's going to step up for you. When you make one step toward him, he'll make a couple towards you because he is your savior. And I know sometimes God hides his face from the righteous and it looks like he's not for us, but he is always for us. I trust him when I can't track him. 
But I believe there's a bigger reason God made this fade. God wanted us to see that Jephthah and Abraham were willing to sacrifice their only child for him. They had that kind of heart for him. And if God saved Isaac, I don't think God let Jephthah kill his daughter. Can you imagine that a man would actually really sacrifice his only child? That idea is very unthinkable, isn't it? Yet I seem to recall another scripture, for God so loved the world. Wow. That he gave his only begotten son. That whosoever believed in him should not perish but have everlasting life. God gave his only son. And here's the reason that God is against human sacrifice. Because he knew that Jesus Christ was the lamb slain from the foundation of the world. And he was going to die for us one day so that you and I wouldn't have to die to prove our love for him. He didn't want us sacrificed in death. He died for us so we could be sacrificed in life to him. I close. Legend has it that during Marco Polo's celebrated trip to the Orient, he was taken before the great fearsome ruler Genghis Khan. Now, what was Marco Polo, a Venetian merchant, an adventurer from Venice, supposed to do before this mighty pagan conqueror? One false move could cost him his life, and so he decided to tell the story of Jesus it was recorded in the Gospels. And it was said that when Marco Polo related the events of Holy Week and described Jesus' betrayal, his trial, his scourging, his crucifixion, that Genghis Khan became more and more agitated, more engrossed in the story, and more tense. And when Marco Polo pronounced the words, then Jesus bowed his head and yielded up his spirit, and Genghis Khan could no longer contain himself, he interrupted, bellowing, what did the Christian's God do then? Did he send thousands of angels from heaven to smite and destroy those who killed Jesus Christ? Khan did not understand the idea of the Son of God dying at the hands of a man infuriated him. But what did do? What did God do when Jesus was crucified? Nothing. Nothing. He had done the unthinkable. He had offered. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, to die in our place. And why did God do the unthinkable? Because the alternative was even more unthinkable. See, if Jesus didn't die on the cross, then we would all have died in our sins. We would all gone to hell. God so loved us. We would have been rejected by God because of our sins, because God despises sin. Jesus chose to take our place. He was rejected so we could live.
me tell you what God did. He made a promise to us. You can call it a vow. That he would redeem us. And he did. He did. So I'm going to make a promise, a vow back to him. Because he has redeemed me. I'm going to follow him all the way. Everybody say, Pastor. I'm going to heaven. Come on. Come on, let's have a heaven clap. I'm going to heaven. I'm going. I'm going. I'm going to heaven. Come on, clap your hands. I'm going. Nothing's going to stop me. I'm going. I'm going to heaven. And that concludes today's message. Please visit clcaustin.com for the latest news, to register for an upcoming event, or to support the Christian Life Ministry through our online giving portal. Thank you for listening.